Hello, you're listening to the 10 by 9 podcast. I'm Paul Doran, and in 2011, Padraig Otuma and I started 10 by 9 in the Black Box in Belfast, and we're still there every month. If you've never been to a 10 by 9 it's a live event where nine people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life, and we love it. 10 by 9 is also a small social enterprise, and we offer workshops and events to festivals, conferences, and to private companies, because everybody has a story. If you think you might be interested, get in touch at our website, 10by9.com. This week, I took 10 by 9 to my hometown of Derry, and it was a very special evening. We had nine fantastic stories on the theme school, made possible with the support of the Integrated Education Fund. There are three of those stories on this podcast. The first is by Stan McWilliams, and it comes right off the back of my introduction from that very special event. Good evening. It's an absolute joy to be back in my hometown. I haven't lived here in over 30 years, so it's a quite nerve-wracking. The home crowd is always the toughest. I, I had been planning to tell a story tonight, and then we actually got the nine stories, but the story I was going to tell was about the primary school I went to, which is Holy Child Primary School in Craigan, and I went there from 1970 to 1977, so it was a laugh a minute, and we had, in the story, I, I talk about how, where the school is, if any of you know it, it's such a central focus, and it really was where all the riots were, it was where Bloody Sunday March started, and the teachers in that school were just amazing. The school was almost hit by a, a mortar one day. It hit the corned beef tin next door. And um, I showed that story to the, the teacher I had at the time. I'd sent it to her and she said she had showed it to her son and her son couldn't believe that these things had actually happened. But his mother had lived through, had taught through the most awful times, as had so many of the other teachers. One of them is actually here tonight, I am delighted to say, Mr. Somahine who was music and drama mostly, I th- from what I remember. So, Well, I'd like to pay tribute to all of those teachers who taught in that school through those most difficult days. They were amazing, and they created this little bubble of safety and security for us, and it was the happiest time of my life, apart from tonight, obviously. Okay. Ballymena, 1971. Let's be clear about it. You're suggesting we break into the school and we're just about to break out. We're in a small room, small front room in Joan's house on late April evening as the days lengthen. There's a piano against the wall and we're sitting on the floor around a small table. A record player in the corner plays The Beatles, Let It Be. The A-level exams are two months away, and the end of classes a few weeks before that. We're planning a stunt at the school. A farewell gesture, but not everyone's sure about it. Years earlier, I failed the 11-plus exam, went to Ballymena Intermediate. Four years later, took a sideways jump into Ballymena Academy, a first at the time. On my way home one Friday afternoon, a year into grammar school, I met a friend, Dougie from the Intermediate. He was coming out of the bookie shop, his clothes and ginger hair covered in dust from the building site. We had a brief chat. Dougie laughs in surprise at me still in school uniform. 
This story is dedicated to past friends who've been streamed apart. Back in Joan's house, all six of us are now on board with a plan to stage a short performance at morning assembly. The piano is central. We rehearse the piece many times. It involves basic physics and electricity until we are confident that we can pull it off. Joan's mother, always delighted to see us, is never phased when we regularly take her piano apart. There's a childish element to the prank, wanting to get her own back in some way. The headmaster of the academy, Willie Maul, is an uncompromising disciplinarian, and he has left his mark on all of us. But if we get it right, maybe we can bring a smile to his face. To set it up, we must break into the school, and there's a rumour that security dogs patrol nightly after other end-of-year school pranks, but a teacher tells us this isn't true. Um, here I must confess, and with no great pride, that I'd taken part in one of those earlier escapades. We covered the school in a thick wave of adhesive stickers bearing the words, quality checked, <laughs> and plastered all outside door handles with my mother's rhubarb jam. <laughs> Back to the one I'm more proud of. At 2 a.m. on a cloudy night in May, showing an occasional crescent moon, five of us gather in a laneway on the edge of town to the rear of the school. While everyone else sleeps, we carry the few items we need over the cross-country track, across the pitches, across the running track, and up to the blocky school building, hoping we haven't been seen. The night is quiet, except for the occasional bark of a distant dog. Climbing through a changing room window left open earlier by a friend, we finally step into the empty school. Walking quietly through the dark, familiar corridor, we make our way to the assembly hall. We close the blackout curtains and put on some lights. All's going well. So we take a short break and have some tea and coffee from a vending machine before getting to work. One of us keeps a constant watch in the caretaker's house some 200 yards down the hill. 45 minutes later, we have modified the piano set up the other equipment and put everything back in place. We leave no trace, no coffee cups, no sign of ever being there. And then it's out of the school, over the pitches by the same route and home. Academy that, that, academy, the academy, like many other schools, has a, has a, a routine assembly. <laughs> Sorry. The academy has a morning routine of assembly like many other schools, a hymn, a prayer and announcements. The teaching staff in their black robes sit in four or five rows behind the headmaster. He stands in a small lectern out front. To the right of the stage as you looked on is the piano and the pianist. Heavy black curtains frame the stage left and right and the students sit facing it. Assembly should have livened up when the pianist accompanying the hymn strikes middle C for the first time. But when she did, nothing happens. Afterwards, she is observed, gently nudging the key, aware that something on the piano is not right. The headmaster finishes announcements and looks over his shoulder to indicate to the staff that they can start to file out, briefly scans the pupils in front, stands on his toes to clearly announce clap when the pianist finally liberates middle C and John Lennon's guitar intro to I Feel Fine cuts through the assembly hall from somewhere over the piano. The teacher on the stage turns sharply, pupils Rising, stop. The headmaster freezes. Baby is good to me, you know. She's happy as can be, you know. She said so. I'm in love with her and I feel fine. 
A few seconds after the Beatles launch into I Feel Fine, high up on the stage, two small boxes are pulled over by a thread wound around the record player's spindle. Confetti spills out in a colourful cloud, <laughs> falling over the headmaster, over the stage, and onto the pupils on the floor. The song lasts just over two minutes, by which time the last pieces of confetti have fluttered to the floor. Exactly what took place during that time we can only imagine. Those of us, including Joan, that planned it and carried it out, we were never caught, by the way, have had to satisfy ourselves with second-hand accounts and on the regular retelling of this story. But what we do know is that assembly that day broke up in a buzz of excitement and noise never witnessed before. Thanks so much, Stan. A fantastic 10x9 debut. Next up is another first-timer. Here's Michaela McDade and a younger version of herself. It's 1978 and I'm me. Everything's different. There's no grass or muck or rain. It's hot and dry and sunny. It's always sunny. I like me new school. It's made out of wood and you go up steps to it because it's held up by big sticks over the red dirt. I sit on the floor and I don't wear a coat anymore. There's lots of pictures of animals and ships and colours and words on the wall, but there's no sacred heart or crucifix, so I don't know how Jesus and Mary is going to watch over us. My teacher's name is Miss Tomlinson. She's nice, but she talks funny. I think her nose is blocked or something. And she always sounds like she's asking a question, even when she isn't. She has bare legs instead of tights. And her skin's brown and shiny and hard. It's like my big brother Barry's confirmation shoes. On Wednesday after school, it's going to be parent-teacher evening. That means that Mammy has to go to the wooden school so that Miss Tomlinson can tell her how I'm getting on. I like that because I know I'm a good girl. And I like it when the teacher says I'm clever. I'm trying hard to think if I've ever done anything bad. But I can't think of anything. I used, to ask, I used to call Miss Tomlinson's sister at the start, but it was only by an accident, and Miss Tomlinson wasn't cross. She just laughed, and she said I was sweet. And then quietly she says something about never been taken for a nun before, but I don't know what she meant. At this school, they call break time recess. That's funny because it sounds like rice, but it just means that we can go outside and we can climb in the monkey bars and play chasey. I love playing chasey because I am a fast runner. In my old school, we used to call it tag, but it means the same thing. If you're on it, you have to run after all the other wains, and then if you catch somebody, then they're on it, and they have to try to catch you back again. But now I'm remembering that one day, it was at the very start when I was in this school, one of the boys, Brett Day, he says that we should play Kiss or Kill, Chasey, because that's what his big brother plays there in a bigger class. He says that that meant that if a boy caught you, you had to pick, you could either say kiss, so then he would kiss you, or you could say kill, and then he'd batter you. <laughs> and I didn't like the sound of that. Because... I didn't want to have to kiss anybody, and I didn't want to have to kill them either, and I didn't want nobody to kiss me or kill me. So I told a wee lie, 
I said that my tummy was sore and it was just so I could get out of playing the game because I thought Brett's idea was stupid. And you see, I didn't want to be a chicken and that's what they call it here, being a chicken. In my old school, we called it being a scaredy cat. I wonder why it has to be either a cat or a chicken. But anyway, that day, I said my tummy was sore and I didn't want to play anymore, but it was just to get out of the game. And now I'm worried because that was a lie and Miss Tomlinson might have known that my tummy wasn't sore. And now she'll tell Mammy at the parent-teacher evening that I told a lie. And lying's a son. But what if it's a lie that stops you from being kissed by a boy? Because I think kissing boys is a son. But I think you're, you're allowed to kiss them if you're married to them then it's not a son. But I'm not sure. And if you tell a lie to get out of kissing a boy, but lying's a son and kissing the boy's a son, I don't want to pick one son over the other son because God's everywhere and he'll know if he picked the wrong one. <sighs> I'm in a different school from my brothers and my sister. They go to the big school beside the wee school. It's called Panawanica Primary School. And it's a proper building. It's made out of bricks, not wood. And it's on the ground instead of being up on sticks. Doesn't have stairs, but in this place, none of the buildings have stairs. They all have verandas. That means a bit of the roof goes on past the wall so you can be in the shade when you're outside. Mammy, I heard her saying to her friend that it's going to be a long day for her because she has to talk to my teacher first. Then she has to go to the big school and she has to talk to Barry's teacher and Kiahal's teacher and Trina's teacher. She says that it'll be a long day because most of the Aussies have one child or maybe two, but not bloody four. Daddy can't go because he's on days. That means he'll be at work. He says he's no good at that sort of thing anyway, and it's better if just Mammy goes. I play with Bonnie after school. Bonnie's my best friend. I call her Bon Bon. I love her hair because it's as black as coal and it's all spongy. She has a special comb. You call it an Afro comb. And when she puts it in her hair, it just stays there like magic. I tried putting Bonnie's comb and her Afro comb in my hair, but it just fell out again. I wish I had hair like Bonnie's because then we would be twins and I could have an Afro comb too. Bonnie's mammy is called Evelyn. But Bonnie says mum instead of mammy. That doesn't sound right to me. But I don't say anything because that would be cheeky. I call Bonnie's mammy Auntie Ev, even though she isn't my real auntie like Margaret or Kathleen in Ireland. I love Auntie Eve because she's kind and she lets us have two ice cubes in our orange cordial. But we're only allowed to rattle them in the cup. We're not allowed to suck them because we might choke and die if we suck them. <laughs> Me and Bonnie play all afternoon. But all the time I'm thinking about Mammy talking to Miss Tomlinson. And I'm hoping that Miss Tomlinson remembers to tell her that I always share my pencils, even my brand new ones, and they're my favourite because Sharon is Karen. When Mammy comes home, I'm waiting on her. I ask her over and over again, what did Miss Tomlinson say? And I kept asking her over and over, and she says, aye, of course. She says, you're very clever. I kept asking her every single thing. I think I'm being annoying. Later, I'm in bed and I can't sleep. 
So I sneak out of my room to listen to Mammy and Daddy talking in the sitting room. In this new house, the sitting room's down the hall instead of down the stairs where it used to be in my old house. At first, I didn't like that. But now I do because down the hall's better for ears dropping. I can hear Mammy and she's saying, the wee one's getting on grand. Daddy makes the listening sound that's not really a word. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at ears dropping. Aye, the teacher loves her, says she's very bright. I hug me Terry tight when she says that. Oh, it's funny, but at the start of the meeting, the teacher was all concerned, worried about her. Why? That was Daddy's voice, and I heard his chair uh, squeaking. Mammy says, Ach, it's the, te- it's the picture she's been drawing. The teacher says that every time Michaela draws or paints a picture of the outside, no matter what else is or isn't in it, there's always a huge, big, black bird in the sky. They read a while lot on what Wayne draws these days, you know. Psychoanalyze everything, so they do. Jesus, Susie, what is it? Maybe the move was a bit much for her. She's a sensitive wee being, you know. Mammy laughs, takes a long puff of her fag, and laughs again. <laughs> Aye, she showed me the pictures, Ducky. It's all right, though. It's only a helicopter the wayne has been drawn. <laughs> I tell the teacher, we're from the Bogside in Derry, Northern Ireland. So Michaela has never seen the sky without a helicopter on it. It's like seeing the sky, it's like seeing the sun and the sky in Australia, except it's there at night too. I don't think she knew what I was talking about. Sure, the teacher's only away in herself. Thanks so much, Michaela. I do you remember primary school our reading books had Peter and Jane in them? And you used to read them and think, what boring lives these children in England have compared to us. Peter and Jane indeed. That story brings back so many memories, Michaela. Thank you very much. Now if you like what we do and would like to help us keep on doing it, we've launched a Patreon account. 10 by 9 is always free, but we do have overhead, so we're grateful if you want to help out. And if you enjoy the podcast, spread the word. And if you can give us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts, well, you know the shtick. We still got one more story for you, so stay with us. But I'm going to say goodbye at this point with a big thank you to the Integrated Education Fund for making it possible. To the amazing people in Sandinos, our fantastic audience and all our storytellers from that evening. It really was something special. I'll be back next week. But I'll leave you in the wonderful company of Roy Arbuckle with our final story. I have only two vivid memories of Bennett Street School. The first, a vision of the milkman's horse having a pee in the street outside. To my young eyes, it was incredible that so much pee could come out of anything. A river, a torrent, a flood, heading for the gutter on Abercorn Road. The other mental picture is of the large pink bloomers of Miss Pollock, 
as she sat at her desk in front of the one-room school in Lower Bennett Street. Our house, number two, Upper Bennett Street, huddled against the back wall of Derry Jail, small and dark, two rooms, one story, toilet in the backyard. My mother, Violet Kincaid, was from the fountain, and my father, Frederick Burnside Arbuckle, was from Ivy Terrace. People didn't move far from their roots in those days. I have an old photograph of Bennett Street. It's, it's important to me, framed on my kitchen wall. And I know our next-door neighbour, Davy Wark, had the same picture. I find it strange that we both have an attachment to Bennett Street, given that we were living in what were basically hovels. The houses were damp, cold, overcrowded, Gas lighting, no electricity, and a tin bath in front of the fire on a Saturday night. I can remember my sisters making beds and trying not to break the very delicate gas mantle. Mantles were made from some kind of stuff that would disintegrate if you sneezed at it. Breaking the gas mantle seemed to be a really expensive thing to do. I've heard psychologists say that the first three years of our lives set the pattern for the rest of our days. Pee, bloomers, baths, beds, and a dread about the price of things. <laughs> I still look at the spot where the house was every time I drive up Abercorn Road. There's nice new houses there now, and the Abercorn Bar is much extended from the original wine and spirit store of those early days. We moved to Northern Parade in 1950. Brand new corporation houses. Wow! Stairs, four bedrooms, a kitchen, an electric plug in every room. The smell of bleach always brings memories of my mother standing at the Belfast sink in the kitchen of number 11, arms in the water, washing clothes. I have a photograph of the family outside number 11. I know it's 1953. It's the year of the coronation because of the crown and the window. The head and shoulder shot of my brother, Billy, was inserted in the picture by a school teacher of mine at the model school, Mr. Thompson. He was incredibly kind to us. He took the photos and he also drove me, my mother and me to the city hospital in Belfast to visit Billy. Billy was born with muscular dystrophy, although at first it was thought he had polio. There was a great fear of polio in the early 50s. In 1952, 3,000 people died from polio in the UK. Mr. Thompson had just bought a new Ford Prefect, or, or was it Anglia? I'll, I'll settle for Anglia. He wanted to run it in. In those ancient days, the first, I think, 10,000 miles had to be done slowly. No high revs. So we, we drove to Belfast at 30 miles an hour. <laughs> to my nine-year-old self, it seemed to take forever. I still remember his kindness. He was the exception. Teachers were mainly to be feared. One of these feared teachers was part of the reason why I dropped out of the dreaded 11 plus in 1955. He was a bully and a tyrant. The main reason I dropped out was that I knew my parents couldn't afford the price of the uniform and the books necessary for Foiled College. I remember saying to my mother, I'm not going to do that. 
That's all right, son. She never spoke too much about things that she had no say in. And despite the fact that I was pretty good at school, I was first in the class at most things, no teacher said anything to me. They probably knew the family circumstances, 10 children and an unemployed father. It was a promising academic career nipped in the bud. I should have ended up in a liberal arts course at some swanky university. I could have, should have, wait a minute, I could have been a poet, a preacher, a teacher. But the only advice I got that I remember was, get a trade, son. You'll never go wrong with a trade. That's sound advice, really. The fact that I didn't do the 11 plus meant that I stayed in the model school until I was 14. And then went to the tech, the Strand Tech, or as it is now known, the Northwest Regional College. It was here I first got friendly with boys of my own age from the Catholic community. Tony Parks, who lived just around the corner from me, and Tommy Dillon. Tommy and I were learning to play the guitar together. and We would go to his house in Howard Street after school to practice. The house was full of music. His older brothers, Dez and Em, both became professional musicians. Tommy went to England after he left school, and I never heard of him again. I was at the pupil, I was a pupil at the Tech for a solid year. My birthday is in September, so I was 15 and a few weeks when Andy McLean came into the classroom looking for someone to be an apprentice motorcycle mechanic in his shop on Great James Street. Hand up, me. Right, starting Monday. So I did. The prospect of earning money being the main motivation. One teacher did ask me to reconsider, saying I had the highest marks in the entrance exam. I had been working since I was at the model school, delivering groceries for John Lovett's shop around the corner on Eden Moore Street. Skinny wee me had a load of good. Skinny me wee had a load of goods on a cast iron ton weight message bike. And while stat the tech, I got up at four o'clock in the morning and spent a few hours delivering the London Dairy Standard, possibly the most boring newspaper in the Western world ever. <laughs> I would end the delivery route at Stevenson's Bakery in William Street, trading copies of the Standard for fresh buns warm from the oven. The bakers got the free papers, I got the free buns for the house. I spent the summer before going to the tech being doorman and cleaner-upper at the Rainbow Restaurant. I felt real grown-up sitting with the girls, drinking a cup of milky coffee and smoking a fag after the lake shift. I was 14. It took me until I was pushing 60 to get back to school. And I got an MSc from the University of Ulster at McGee. And when I realized exactly how much class and social status had influenced my educational choices many years later, I was really annoyed for a while. It never really occurred to me that things could have been different until a friend in Canada said to me, who did the number in you? That made me think, and I was somewhat resentful, well, pissed off really, until I was visiting a friend in Dundalk and her bathroom was a plaque. My parents gave me a great education. It's taken me 10 years to get over it.
It's been an absolute joy to bring Temba and I into Derry. I hope it won't be too long before we're back again. Thank you very much and good night.